0: You're listening to The Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Come on. Black on black is in. We we didn't plan this, believe me. We did not plan this. Well, good afternoon. It's great to be with you and uh, excited to share... God's word with you today, but let's jump into some prayer and just put our full focus and attention on the Lord before we jump into the word. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you so much for your presence, that you're here with us. Lord, let us never take you lightly or for granted. God, we thank you for what you've done for us for your incredible love for us. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do what you would do best, which is reveal Jesus. God, that we would see him in his beauty, his majesty, his splendor, and we would be transformed to be more like Jesus. Have your way in this time, Lord. Let each person that's here today encounter you, experience you in a real and tangible way. God, we give you everything because you are so good, so worthy. We give you all honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I want to continue on where kind of left off last week. Last week, I began to to share a message called uh, a divine dwelling, being a divine dwelling, being a place where Jesus wants to stay, not just visit. Being a place where he doesn't just visit but he stays. We talked about that there's a big difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God, where he is omnipresent. He is everywhere, all at once, all at the same time. Don't try to understand it too much. He's God. That's one of the reasons why he's God, and if you try to understand it, your mind will blow up, but this is the truth. This is the reality of who he is, but there's a big difference between that level of his presence and the manifest presence of God where he shows up in a real tangible way where it is felt, it is noticed, and it is evident. And you might have experienced the tangible presence of God already this morning in worship, as you witness people getting baptized, uh, diff- hearing testimonies, different things happening. God's presence is here and, and you can feel him. And He wants you to feel Him. He, he came as a man. Jesus came fully God, fully man, died on a cross for our sins and rose again from the third day and sent, sent the Holy Spirit so that we could feel Him, so that we could experience Him, so that we could know Him. And God wants us to have that tangible experience with Him. The difference between often the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God is our choosing of what we do with our attention. If we will give him our attention, if we will turn our hearts towards him and be fully attentive to him and pursue him and seek him to know him. Because though he is always with us, the real question is, are we with him? He is with you. Are you with him? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to be with him more than anything else and anyone else? Do you want to be where he is more than anywhere else? And this is what God is inviting us into. I want to read this scripture uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2 to kind of set the tone for what God is doing here and what he wants to do in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says this, as you come to him, the living stone, which is the first key really is we must come to Jesus. He came, now he's inviting us to come to him. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus always is inviting us to come to him, to come to him every morning when we wake up, to come to the secret place, to be alone with him, to pray, to worship, to be in the word. He's always inviting us to come to him. Those who will come to him will be the ones that really, he begins to build that house of God that he wants to build. says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Some people think that because of Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice, which he did do on the cross, that we no longer have to give any more sacrifices. We do not have to give animal sacrifices, praise the Lord. But there is a sacrifice that God asks of us, and it is costly. Otherwise, it would not be a sacrifice, and it is your life. He desires for you to be a living sacrifice unto him and to offer yourself daily, being dead to self, empty of self, and giving your life fully to him. It continues on in verse six. For this, In scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, this is talking about Jesus, but to those who do not believe, this stone the builders rejected has become The cornerstone. Jesus is building us to be a house. And that house is to be built on him as the foundation, as the chief cornerstone. And we here at the Promised Church desire for this house to be built on Jesus. For it to be about him. For us to be a people that give him glory because it's all because of him and everything is for him. And we desired over five and a half years ago when we began to lead this church to turn everything towards the person and presence of Jesus. That our number one core value is to host the presence of God. And when we began that, that change and that focus and, and that intentionality, we didn't necessarily fully maybe know at the time what that really meant. But I believe God has been so faithful over the last few years and even over these last few months to really show us what that means that he is building us into a place where he can dwell, where he doesn't visit, but he can stay. If you think about a house, a house is not built for the house. The house is not built for itself. The house is built for the person who will live in it. The house is built for that person. Us as the body of Christ, us as the house of God that God is building. We are not built for ourselves. We are built for him. We are built for him who would dwell within us and dwell in us and among us. This is is why God is building us and what he is doing in us. And often we have made church to be about us and not about him. Often people go to a church because of a man-made program or because of a man and not because of the man, Jesus. I don't want people to come here for any other reason besides Jesus being here. And he is here and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for community. I'm thankful that God brings us together as those living stones. But it is essential for us to know the real purpose for which we exist, and that is to be a people of his presence. God has always desired to live amongst his people. In Exodus 25, he tells Moses, build the tabernacle exactly the way that I show you so that I can come and dwell amongst my people. That has always been his desire. This is why he sent Jesus, and this is why Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, so that when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside of us, and we become a living temple of God. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he comes and lives in us and with us and on us. But we must be stewards of that, and we must be willing to host him well and be aware that he is always with us. Last week, I talked about five things that I believe that God really looks for in a place and in people where he can dwell. He looks for this in individuals, and he looks for this in a group of people. He wants to see it in both places, but it must start with us as individual people. We must live these things in our lives, in our families, in every part of us, and then as we collectively join together in that place of, of unity and hunger together, man, God's going to move powerfully. He's going to come. So here's these things that I I shared last week just for review. He's looking for people who have first love, where he is our first love, where we love him first and most above all things. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. First love is the desire of Jesus, meaning it's his desire from us for us to have first love for him. The second one is holiness. Holiness is the nature of God. He invites us to be holy as He is holy. He invites us into His nature to live and be like Him. Holiness is a thing of being set apart, consecrated unto the Lord for His purposes. Holiness means living in righteousness and purity, the purpose for which is to see God. It is to be in a place of face to face relationship with Him, to know Him deeply. Hebrews 12 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God invites us to be like him so that we can dwell with him. Humility is the third one. Humility is the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is humble of heart. Humility is, his, is, is what he carries himself with and how he operates. Humility is how he comes. He comes as a king but he comes on a donkey, not how we would expect. And I find it amazing in in Numbers chapter 12, there's this story where God gives permission to Moses to reveal the heart of Moses and why God showed up and revealed himself to Moses more than anyone else at that time. It says in Numbers 12, and in my Bible, it's in parentheses, as if the Holy Spirit, speaking through Moses and inspiring Moses to what to write, said to Moses, it's okay for you to say this. I know you don't want to say this, but it's okay. So like Moses, it's like in parentheses, and it says this, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Think about it, right? A person who says, I'm humble, usually isn't very humble. No one like normally just comes out and says, I'm super humble. Check me out. No, you demonstrate your humility usually. You don't talk about it. And, but Moses says this. And then what happens is is Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, Moses' brother and sister, begin to accuse Moses and begin to say, well, there's nothing that special about him. God speaks to us too. And all of a sudden, God manifests his presence and stands physically before them and says, hey, time out. You better check yourself on how you're talking about my friend Moses. Because I speak to prophets and visions and dreams, but I don't speak to Moses that way. I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Again, when you walk in humility, God will defend you. You don't have to defend yourself in pride. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident that God says, I want you to say this, Moses, about yourself, that you're more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. And I reveal myself to you way differently than anyone else, face to face. This is what God is inviting us into. This is why Jesus came, is so that we can have a face to face, knowing of God, closeness with him, the fourth one is hunger. It's the passion of Jesus. He implants and imparts his hunger in us for himself. Otherwise, our hunger will grow tired and wane and grow cold and stale. And then the last one I introduced last week was honor. Honor is the culture of Jesus. It is the culture within which he lives and operates and has his kingdom. Honor. Honor, we talked about, is a valuing, a treating of someone or something as valuable, precious, weighty as gold we also talked about you can know that the definition of something often by looking at the opposite of it so what is dishonor dishonor is to treat as common to treat as ordinary to not show respect or value and we talked about that we must be a people that honor and esteem and reverence and awe the person and presence of jesus And that we must be a people that honor his body and his blood and his sacrifice and what he paid for for our lives. We must honor him in that way and never take it for granted, never take it lightly. And we talked about that it is impossible to fully honor God and not honor those around us. If we are to truly fully honor God, we will honor our spouses. We will honor our children. We will honor the delegated authority that God places in our society the authority of, of the civil authority, of government, of our police, uh, of, of, of city authority, of state authority, of national authority. We will honor the authority that He places around us, like our bosses, and we will honor spiritual authority that God places in our lives. We will walk in a place of honor. We will walk as a, in a place of excellence, not because. We are honoring necessarily everyone's behavior. We are honoring the position, realizing that every position of authority, God puts those people there. And so we're trusting the Lord in that and honoring those places. We must walk in that place of honor. We must honor our spouses, our families. We must honor our neighbors, our friends. We must honor one another. This is what honor builds in our lives. I wanna talk today more so about being a collective people a gathering, a place where God doesn't just visit, but he stays and what he is looking for in us. And I wanna really look at places where God, where Jesus either was welcomed or was not welcomed, where Jesus chose to stay, where Jesus chose to make his his place of residence, where he chose to hang out and wanna be and where he wasn't able to stay and why that was. I wanna look at, Three different towns where he wasn't able to stay where he was. The first one is Nazareth. Places he wasn't honored. The first one is Nazareth. I want to look at Mark 6, verse 1. And it says this, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach. In the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus was in his own hometown. He was in Nazareth. And the people there would not receive him for who he was. He began to read a scripture out of Isaiah 61. It was a prophecy of the Messiah who was to come and what the Messiah would do and what he would bring and how he would live. And he began to read how I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to bring joy instead of mourning and all these things. And he begins to to read this scripture. And then he takes the scroll, hands it back probably to the synagogue leader and he goes and he sits down. But it says in Luke chapter 4 that the eyes of everyone were on him and they were talking amongst themselves, who is this guy and what does he think he's doing? Why? Because where he chose to sat down was on the designated seat in the synagogue that was always left empty, that was always reserved for the Messiah for when he would come. And Jesus goes and he sits down and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What are you going to do about it, basically? And it says that the town rose up and wanted to throw him off the nearest cliff because they were so filled with offense. They were so filled with pride and familiarity where they were like, How could this guy be the Messiah? How could he say this? Because we grew up with him. He grew up with my son. Didn't he make that table in our house? How could he be the Messiah? And they were indignant and they were offended and they were full of pride and they did not honor him. Think about it. It says he could do no mighty work there except lay his hands on a few sick people and then they were healed. I mean, we would be throwing a party if a few sick people here got healed in a moment. It would be awesome. And Jesus was restrained. He was constrained. He was restricted because of the familiarity, their pride, which led to their unbelief. Jesus is limitless. Jesus has no bounds. He has no limits. Nothing can really hold him back. But in this moment, he was constrained because they would not receive him for who he was. They were taking him for granted. They would be too familiar with him. And I feel like often we can do the same with him still today. We can be in church day after day, week after week, year after year, and become very casual with his presence. Begin to really take him for granted. Begin to take for granted the cross and what he's done and him shedding his blood for us. We can really take for granted the new life that we have through his, through his sacrifice. We can really take worship really lightly and casually and flippantly and just kind of be like standing around going, when is this going to end? When are they going to the next song? You know, what time is it? checking my phone okay you know the reception here is terrible which is a grace from god Um, and we just totally forget that he's in the room we totally really don't realize and remember that he's there we're talking to people we hang out in the entryway for 20 minutes and we miss most of worship because we're just used to it. It's just the way it is. I think we feel I think we have began to take maybe for granted the price that he paid for us to have access to his presence. In the Old Testament, only one person, one day a year, and not without blood, and he had to follow a lot of rituals and a lot of rules to the T, otherwise he was a dead man. Only he could actually access the presence of God. And it says that you and I, because of his body, which is the curtain that was torn apart and His shedding of his blood, you and I have access into the most holy place to come boldly before the throne of grace. And I think often we just take that really lightly and casually. And I believe the Lord is inviting us into a place where we never take his presence for granted. Now, I purposefully wore casual type clothing today jeans a t-shirt tennis shoes because i want you to understand that it is not about a style or a preference or we're not going to becoming become legalistic in our approach to god about a bunch of rules but i do not want us to ever take for granted his presence i do not want us ever to enter into the presence of god without reverence without respect without awe without wonder without honor I don't want us to ever go, oh God's so merciful, he's so gracious, I can just live how I want to live and and sin and do things that I know are against his word and he'll just forgive me. It's okay. That is not honoring God. That is not honoring his presence. That is not honoring his person. That is not honoring his blood and his sacrifice of what he paid for. He paid to set you free from sin, not so that you just continually do what you want to do. You will never find God in an atmosphere where he isn't given the utmost respect. You will never find God in an atmosphere where he isn't given the utmost respect. The reason why the town of Nazareth did not receive Jesus is because they had an image of what the Messiah would come like, and he came a little differently than what they were expecting. Sometimes we don't receive Jesus and what he wants to do in our lives because it comes in a package that we weren't expecting. It comes in a way that we weren't looking for. And often God does that because he wants to know if we'll be humble enough to receive him. Often we can begin to take even one another for granted. It says a prophet is not without honor in his home, except in his hometown. Often those closest to us, we can begin to take the most for granted. We can begin to not honor properly. We can begin to just treat flippantly and casually. Our spouses usually take that first. Our kids, our other family members, our closest friends begin to take the the blunt of us no longer treating people with the utmost honor and respect and value because we've begun to be familiar take people for granted. I don't want us ever to take each other for granted. I don't want us ever to not keep celebrating each other, what God's doing in one another's lives, and celebrating what God's doing here. I don't say this to toot our horn in any way. What God is doing here is unique, and he is doing amazing things all over the globe. And I'm not saying this in any sense of pride. We are not going to walk in any elitism at all. But don't ever take for granted what God is doing here. It wasn't like this six years ago. I can promise you that. Don't ever take it for granted. The next city that I want to talk about is the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes. In Luke chapter 8, there's a story of a man filled with a legion of demons, thousands of demons. And Jesus comes across the lake just for one man. He comes onto the shore. The man runs to the feet of Jesus and falls at his feet and cries out. And Jesus sets him free and he sends all the demons into this herd of pigs nearby. And all the pigs run off into the shore, which, if you know any background about Jewish culture, there should not have been a herd of pigs nearby. It was against their law and their traditions to have pigs, period. And all these pigs go into the shore. This is also a beautiful picture because this man, possessed by the devil, the devil could not stop him from coming to the feet of Jesus. No matter what you're going through, no matter what is going on in your life or a family member's life that you're praying for, no demon in hell can stop a person who chooses to give themselves fully to the Lord and fall at his feet. So what happens here is the town comes out to see what's going on, to hear the... They've heard the commotion. It says in Luke 8:34, when those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from which whom the demons had come out, gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet. So beautiful. So I don't have time to go into all that. But he's dressed and then he's in his right mind. And it says, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gadarenes asked Jesus to leave them. Because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. So crazy. Think about it. They asked Jesus to leave. He came and he solved their community problem. Think about it. Tourism was not hot in the Gadarenes. Hey, uh, you might want to not take the kids there. Uh, I've heard there's this really crazy man. He runs around naked all the time. Uh, they can't do anything about him. they try to chain him up even, and he just breaks the chains. You know, so you probably shouldn't go there anytime soon. He came and took care of their problem. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. He was healed. He was delivered. And yet, they were so freaked out that they asked Jesus to leave. Mighty miracle happens and they asked Jesus to leave. Why? Why was it? Because they were in a place of not wanting to lose control. They didn't want to lose control of their way of life, the way that they had been going. See, that picture of the pigs, that, that herd of pigs represented they were not willing to give up their sin. They were not willing to give up those things in their life that they were holding on to, and they were afraid of what God would ask of them to do and how he would ask them to live if they fully gave themselves to Jesus. They didn't want to change, so they asked Jesus to leave. Many of us at times could be afraid of God, afraid of what he would ask us to do, or we're afraid that he will call us to some foreign land, to like South America, and we'll have to sell all our possessions and we'll be somewhere we don't want to be and be miserable the rest of our lives. If we are in that place of that of, of fear and being afraid of God in that way, we really don't know him or his heart. We don't really trust him. Because if you know him and you know his heart, you know that you are perfectly safe to trust him with your whole life and give him everything. There is safety in his presence, in his arms. There is safety in the closeness of him. Though you might be in a very risky place. Though you might be in a dangerous environment, you are perfectly safe because you're in His will and you're in where He's asked you to be. You're with Him. Though you might be stepping out in faith, so to speak, you're perfectly safe. Often we are afraid of God because we really don't know Him. We're not living in the fear of the Lord, we're living in the wrong kind of fear. See, a person who has the fear of the Lord wants to be close to God. You can't be intimate with someone that you're afraid of. And God wants us to be close to Him. And so He invites us into that place. And the fear of the Lord is a person who is terrified to be away from God. I want to be so close to you, Lord. And these people were afraid. And so they asked Jesus to leave. And Luke 8.40 talks about how right after this, Jesus goes in the boat, goes right across the sea, right back to where he was before. And in Luke 8.40, it says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were expecting him. Right after he had been rejected, there was a group of people that were ecstatic and excited for Jesus to come. And they welcomed him, and they were expecting him. That must be our heart. Another city that rejected Jesus, where he couldn't stay, was Jerusalem. In Luke 19, I'm just going to give you the passage. Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus begins to weep over Jerusalem. And he begins to cry over them because they did not recognize him. They did not recognize their king who came. They did not recognize the Messiah who was prophesied to them that would come. And it says, you, he says in the end of verse 44, you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of, of my coming to you. They were holding on too tightly to their religious practices, their religious rituals, to all the things that they were comfortable with, what they thought it was supposed to look like. They were looking for a Messiah who they thought would rule an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman government and restore Israel back to its fullness. That was not how he came, and that was not the purpose for which he was sent. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom, one you cannot see with your natural eye, that requires humility in order to enter. And Jesus wept over them. That phrase... They did not know the time of their visitation. It essentially means they did not recognize or honor or value the hour or the time of his visitation. They did not honor his person of coming. So if Jesus wasn't welcomed at his hometown or in the religious center of of his nation, two places where he definitely should have been welcomed, where did he feel honored? Where did he feel welcomed? Where did he choose to stay? Where did Jesus want to stay? I'll tell you. He wanted to stay in a little village two miles outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. Why Bethany? Bethany, the name of Bethany means place of poverty. And you might think, well, that's kind of weird. Why would Jesus choose to stay and and be in a place of poverty? Well, the thing is, it's not talking about physical poverty, material poverty of, of money. It's talking about a posture of the heart of internal poverty that's always in a place of, God, I'm so desperate for you. I need you so much. I need you every moment of every day. Oh, God, I can't live without you. Poverty of spirit. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's looking for those who are always in a place of wanting him, of needing him. Jesus said it's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. What kind of rich is he talking about? Wealthy people, people with lots of money, perhaps. But I think it's also the people who are rich in heart, rich in spirit, who they have grown independent and they have become self-sufficient and says, hey God, I got this. I'm okay. Thank you for what you've done. I'll take it from here. And they no longer live their lives in a desperate need for God every moment of their day. Jesus came and stayed in a little town called Bethany. Why? Because he was ministered to there. He was loved there. He was honored there. He was adored there. And Bethany developed a reputation with Jesus and with heaven where Jesus knew he could be there. And it would be a place of safety and refuge for him. Where did Jesus come from the day he rode that donkey into Jerusalem? And they began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. He came from Bethany. Where did he go back to after the crowd was enamored with him and shouting his praises? He went back to Bethany. Why? Because of one person. One person who loved him so much that it drew him fully to that place. This is Mary of Bethany I'm talking about. Mary, the the sister to Martha and Lazarus. In Mark, in Mark chapter 14, we can see the story where Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's just a couple days away from going to the cross. And he's, go, he's invited into a man's home, a man named Simon the leper. And they're having a meal together. And it says this in verse 3 of Mark chapter 14. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman, this is Mary, came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. In John 12, it talks about she poured it on his feet as well and began to wet, uh, wipe his feet with her hair. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another why this waste of perfume it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly see the religious spirit has a really hard time with passionate worship has a really hard time with full adoration of the Lord has a real hard time with making it all about Jesus verse 6 leave her alone said Jesus again Jesus will defend those fully give themselves to him and walk in humility leave her alone said Jesus why are you bothering her she has done a beautiful thing to me he says the poor you will always have with you but you will not and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me don't miss the hour of your visitation people don't miss that moment where you can love me and give of yourself fully to me. We're not promised tomorrow, let alone a second chance after a second chance. It says in verse eight, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done, will also be told in memory of her. Jesus said that about no one else and nothing else. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. In one act of worship, in one act of surrender, in one act of adoration, Mary displayed all five of these qualities which I've been talking about. She displayed first love, holiness, humility, honor, hunger, all of them in one moment. In one moment, she displayed first love by not having her love grow cold or stale for the Lord, not being familiar, not taking Him for granted, not having lost her wonder and her awe of Him, but willing to passionately express herself fully to Him and caring more about Jesus than anyone else in the room. She displayed holiness. By giving what was set apart. She gave him what was most precious to her. What was probably most valuable to her. Something that was worth more than a year's wages. That she had saved. That someone probably had given her in an inheritance. She had set that aside as precious. And she held on to it. But then she gave it. And not just like poured it out of the the jar. She broke it. Which means that that vessel could never have been used again. She gave it fully to the Lord. She didn't pour out a little bit. She broke it so that not one drop would ever be wasted. It was all given to him. Not one drop reserved for herself at a later time. All given to him. Your life, your body, your gifts, your talents, who you are is holy and is meant to be holy unto the Lord. And you are not your own. You are bought with a price, and you have the opportunity every day to give yourself fully to the Lord in holiness. What is your most precious possession? Most likely, it's your own life. At the end of the day, it's your own life, and you have the opportunity to give what's most precious to you to him every day. She displayed humility she took the place of the lowest servant in the house and began to wash his feet and began to wash his feet with her tears and with her hair. And that day, people's feet were nasty. I'm not trying to be funny, it's just the reality. Feet today can be nasty, but feet back then were even worse. Think about it. They walked in sandals, no shoes, on dirt roads all the time where animals walked those roads and animals would poop on those roads and it was the job of the lowest servant in the house to wash a guest's feet and she sees Jesus at that table reclining and going oh my goodness how can this be he's a guest in this house do they not know who he is they haven't washed his feet how could they not wash his feet? How could they not have done this for him yet? How could they not honor him in this way? And she recognizes, he doesn't have much time left, because she saw who he really was and what he came to do. He doesn't have much time left. I'm sure, she saw the, the heaviness on his heart, knowing that he was about to go to the cross, and she began to go, "What could he need? What could he, What could he want? Uh, I, I don't know, but I will give him everything. I'll go. I'll, I'll wash his feet. And she goes and she grabs that jar, the alabaster jar, and she breaks it and pours it over his head and over his feet. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears. And she begins to wet his, wipe his feet with her hair. In those days, a woman's hair represents her glory. A woman's hair would often be up in a high bun. Uh, and it would never be let down. And that represented her glory. And she let her glory down to be on Jesus, to be upon His feet, and to love Him and to minister Him. Because He was more precious to her than anything else. He was more precious to her than that jar. He was more precious to her than her dignity. She humbled herself. I find it amazing that shortly after that moment, Jesus did the same thing. He actually followed her example. And on the Passover day, Passover weekend, he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus came as the ultimate servant. Not to be served, but to serve. But yet he has a special place in his heart reserved for those who will love him and that minister to him, that will give him everything. She displayed a hunger that said whatever it takes no matter what it costs me I'm giving my all to Jesus. I'm all in. I'm giving him everything. She displayed an honor that recognized the value of Jesus and recognized the few precious moments that they would have left together. And she was, lo- she was looking to meet Jesus' needs not her own. See Simon The host of the house, the owner of the house who is hosting Jesus. Many people believe Simon the leper was a man who had leprosy, that Jesus actually healed. And in the New King James translation, it says that Simon the leper was Judas Iscariot's father. And here he is hosting Jesus. And he doesn't allow Jesus' feet to be washed It shows that he wanted Jesus in his house for his own recognition, for his own prestige, for his own fame. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was becoming famous. He had Jesus and Lazarus in his house to make a name for himself, but he did not give Jesus the full honor that he deserved. See, we can want Jesus, but not honor him fully. We can want him in our lives but not give Him the throne of our hearts and give Him everything and not walk in full honor. See, honor will protect first love. Honor will protect these other qualities. If you have honor, you will continue to produce holiness, humility, hunger in your life. And we choose to honor God because He honored us by paying the most expensive price in his son, Jesus. He paid the most expensive price for us. And so that is why we honor him. He took our place on the cross. And we have the opportunity every moment of every day and every day to honor his presence, to honor his person, to honor him with our lives, with our worship. As Pastor Luke opened the service off, we are worshipers first. We are called to live a life of worship, which is a living sacrifice, giving ourselves fully to the Lord. One of the fruits, one of the outcomes of honoring God or the fear of the Lord, walking in true reverence and respect of Him, it is absolute obedience. God, whatever you say, I'll do because I trust you, because I know you, because you're so loving and you're so good, and I choose to honor you with my whole life. He's not interested in halfway, part way. Would you all stand with me? I appreciate you giving me grace to go a little bit longer today, but I, I couldn't not share all that was in my heart that I believe that the Lord had given, us, given me for our, our house here. I want to do a couple things in His presence. There's a special presence of the Lord here, but I believe that there's people here today that He is wooing, that He is calling to Himself. that don't know Him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't have a relationship with him and you want to give him your whole life and you want to stop going the way you've been going and following your own path and you want to choose to turn and follow him and have him be the leader of your life and choose to follow him and pursue a relationship of knowing him. If that's you and you want to begin that journey with him today, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you. God wants to come and meet with you and for you to know him in a real and personal way. Is there anyone here, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, and you want to begin that today? I'll even say this. You might have gone to church a long time, And you know a lot about Jesus. You know a lot of scriptures and you know a lot of information. But you don't know the person of Jesus. You've never actually encountered the person who is salvation and actually let him be Lord of your life and chosen to follow him with your whole life. That is salvation. It's not praying the prayer. It's not even just coming up to an altar. It is meeting the person who is Jesus and giving him your whole life. I don't care if you've been in church for 50 years. You could not know Jesus. If that's you and you want to know him today, he's here. Raise your hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Come on. We want to celebrate with those who raise their hand. If you raise your hand, please come to the front. We want to pray with you. This is not to embarrass you in any way. We want to pray with you. Please just come to the front. We want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Thank you, Jesus. Come on up. Come on up here, man. Come on. If you're here today, and when I began to speak about Nazareth, I began to speak about the Gadarenes. I began to speak about Jerusalem. Where we, we, you, in your life, you know you've taken God for granted. You've taken Him lightly. You've taken Him flippantly. You've become casual. you become familiar. Maybe you become really familiar with even other people in your life. Those closest to you. you become familiar with your boss and you treat that person disrespectfully. you become familiar... With, with spiritual authority you don't respect it the way you should you become familiar with civil authority I want you to come to the front and to repent the altar is open for you maybe you're afraid you're afraid of what it will cost you if you give God everything you're afraid of what it will cost you if you truly surrender I'm telling you God is inviting you into a place of surrender where you feel at peace in his presence If you're in a place of fear, not wanting to open your heart to God, come to the front. I just want to do this real quick. We're going to have the worship team lead us in a song in just a moment. But I want all of us, church, from our own lips, from our own heart, from our own voice, begin to minister to the Lord, to begin to love Him, to begin to worship Him. I'm going to just lead you for a moment, but I want you to begin to lift your own voice. Begin to sing your own song of love. God, make us a Bethany where we minister to you, Lord, above all else. That we love you, Jesus, above all else. God, where you feel safe to be. God, where you feel safe to be and to recline, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you, Lord. There's no one like you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. You are holy. You are worthy, you are great and greatly to be praised. Come on church. Just begin to lift your voice. We love you, Lord. We magnify your name, oh God. Oh precious King, oh Lamb of God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If you wanna to come to the front to worship, you just wanna respond, come to the front. Jesus, we worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Oh Jesus. We give you all praise. We give you all glory. We give you all honor. It's all about you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Come on, church. Let's worship him.